What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I've been want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We're back, we're back, we're back in bizarro land. Yes, a world where good news can also be bad news. For example, if the economy creates 304,000 jobs in January, could that mean the Fed needs to tighten, even if we only had modest wage inflation? That's what today's tug of war between the bulls and bears was all about. Dow only gaining 64 points, S&P advancing 0.09%, NASDAQ declining 0.25%, after being up much, much more when people first cheered the strong number before they got worried about the Fed later in the day. I got to tell you, after that pretty bruising earnings season where home builders, automakers, and retailers reported a weak end to 2018, I think employment figures a welcome respite from the negative data points that suggest we should be worried about a big slowdown. You know, there's an incredible contrast between so many companies seeing the blues in this strong employment figure. I have a hard time figuring out why either the U.S.-based international companies or the domestic companies are delivering suboptimal numbers while there's so much strong hiring. How the heck are we now in the hundredth straight month of job gains? without any explosion in profits. The only rationalization I can come up with is that the Fed slowed the economy down enough, cool it, boom, that, let's say it lowered commerce and sales, but it didn't wreck the job market. Hey, look, I'm trying as best as I can. That's what I come up with. And that's why I wouldn't be too concerned about more rate hikes suddenly being back on the table. Oh, by the way, Jay Powell just spoke two days ago, for heaven's sake. So, with that in mind, let's go to the game plan. Monday morning, we're going to hear from Clorox, you know, one, long one of my favorites. I'm betting it will be excellent, and we may actually see the beginning of its raw cost coming down. Would that be a terrific break? Something that could allow the stock to reassert its leadership in the consumer products group. That would steal it back from Procter & Gamble, which has been such a horse. After the close, we get results from Alphabet. I know the Fast Bunny guys had a lot to say about it tonight, and let me tell you about this. I am concerned about the stock because Amazon just got shelled after reporting a better-than-expected quarter with a weaker-than-expected forecast and some problems in its retailing business. When you see a stock down 92 bucks the way that Amazon was, you get worried about the rest of the online cohort, and that most definitely includes Alphabet. I think Amazon's a buy here. I would wait till Tuesday. I think it can be still some sellers in on Monday. And the concerns, I think, are wildly overblown, including the fears of a slowdown in retail. But the sudden decision by the Indian government to create a level playing field between e-commerce giants like Amazon or Walmart and the small merchants was a real blow to both companies' ambitions in that rapidly growing country. But let's get back on track. When Alfred reports, it needs to show us some leg. It has to tell us about Waymo orders. That's a self-driving division. It's got to give us a clear path for bigger YouTube profits. It tells us nothing about it. It needs to give us some hints about whether it might want to bid on something big for entertainment. How about the NFL when those contracts are up? 
Unfortunately, I doubt Amazon will do any of that. And while we still own this one for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, we're getting mighty impatient after the shellacking we took in Amazon. Although, fortunately, the trust is still up nicely on the stock. On Tuesday morning, BP reports, old British Pete, and I think it'll be every bit as good as Chevron and ExxonMobil, both of which put up astonishing numbers this morning and saw the stock soar. I credit the refining divisions for making a fortune here, and they're most definitely back in the drilling business, exploring all over the globe again. After a long period of what I regarded as muted growth, I expect the same thing, if not better, from BP. Nice yield, too. Lots of analysts have been touting Estee Lauder going into the quarter. I would normally be worried because there were some real concerns at Fabrizio Freitas' company that the Chinese economy may be slowing. That's a huge market for them. But Yum China posted terrific numbers last night, and gambling in Macau, which is a very good correlative, has been robust of late. So maybe we're going to see some strong numbers for the cosmetics maker. We also uh, hear from Ralph Lauren, which struggled in the last part of the quarter, but I think the current management is doing an excellent job of rationalizing the business. We've been itching to buy Ralph Lauren for the trust, but haven't yet pulled the trigger. It is mighty tempting. After the close, Walt Disney reports. I expect CEO Bob Iger will tell an amazing story about how well ESPN Plus is doing. By the way, Ultimate Fight Club is really helping them. And the acquisition of Fox's entertainment assets will give the company a multi-year growth story. I know Disney's having some trouble selling some of those sports properties they've been forced to divest, but I think the focus has to be on the long-term growth here and the digital-driven recovery at ESPN. These are much more important. We own Disney for the trust, and I'm hoping it comes down so we can buy more into weakness. Merck reported a fantastic set of results today. It deserves to trade higher. But the best-acting big pharma stock remains Eli Lilly, with its diversified cancer, diabetes, and migraine franchises. Not to mention perhaps the most promising rheumatoid arthritis drug out there, and that's a huge market. Be careful. It's a stretch to think that Lilly can still keep running. Maybe if you get a market-wide pullback, though, perhaps caused by something that has nothing to do with uh, Eli Lilly, think China, that might be a chance to buy some ahead of this quarter. Wednesday, we hear from two companies I like very much that could give you some real pyrotechnics, Spotify and Take-Two Interactive. There's a lot of skepticism surrounding both these companies, even as they regard them as staples in millions of homes. Spotify is a worldwide subscription-based music business. I think it can compete with anyone, yet it's gotten very little respect from the marketplace. As for Take-Two, you know what? People have been whispering a little negative negativity about uh, Grand Theft Auto sales of late, and the stock's gotten taken to the woodshed. Hey, why don't we let's see what's, see what's happening here. I think Red Dead Redemption is selling well. You know that we have seen endless estimate bumps of late for Chipotle, which tells me that you should be ready for a blowout when the company reports after the close on Wednesday. CEO Brian Nichol, late of Taco Bell, has orchestrated a magnificent turnaround here. I like the story. I just remember that the stock's already up pretty uh, substantially. Hey, guac price is coming down. Bar San Miguel tells me that. Thursday, we find out how much President Trump has helped out the stock of Twitter. Actually, in truth, the company never really discusses anything involving the president's tweets. They tend to focus on how there are whole mayoral elections in Spain that are determined by tweets. Either way, I think Twitter remains a viable alternative for companies that want to advertise on the web. So I think the stock is intriguing. I'm also interested in Grubhub because the delivery market has become one of the hottest and most contested spaces out there. Employment is so tight in this country, I don't know if Grubhub can get all the workers it needs, especially with Uber Eats breathing down its neck. It might be the labor cost issue that fells the stock of this very well-run company, which has already retreated a great deal. Toys are all over the place in the wake of the closing of Toys R Us, and I still think it's playing havoc with Mattel 
which reports after the close Thursday, and Hasbro, which reports Friday. I think Mattel's balance sheet needs a fix-up. Hasbro, I like it. Ventas has long been one of my favorite real estate investment trusts. It's a 5% yielder that rules the senior housing market. I bet it delivers a fine quarter on Friday. I bless buying some ahead of the results. Bottom line, we're still basking in the glow of a Fed gone pragmatic while employment stays strong and inflation is tame. That's the ideal backdrop for stocks. I say be ready to buy the next dip because 2019, which was supposedly going to be the year the business cycle finally keels over, may turn out to be surprisingly rewarding. How about we go to Matt in Virginia? Matt. Hey, Jim. Uh, I'm calling for your opinion on Nutanix. Uh, a while back, they shifted to a software and subscription model, moving away from pass-through hardware sales. Uh, in conjunction with their managed iCloud services, my question is, do you see this as one of the next big tech companies, or do you see them being acquired by a larger company like Cisco or Google? Well, I don't think they will be acquired uh, by Cisco, uh, and I don't think Google is interested in them. And I do prefer VMware, which is their sworn opponent. I think that's a better bet for you than Nutanix, although Nutanix is a good company. How about Mark in California, please? Mark. Booyah, Jimmy. Hey, hey, man. Hey, I'm trying to live by your words of advice and stay with winners and not by falling knives. Edwards Life Sciences just reported decent earnings yesterday. Am I heart smart to stick with my investment in Edwards Life Sciences? I like Edwards Life Sciences so much. I think that it is one of those that if it weren't so high, I'd say, look, you go higher or get a bid. Now, the stock's a little too high to get a bid, but man, those guys are great. I love their products. I love what they do. But more important, so do doctors. EW is a buy. Michael in New York. Michael. Jim, thanks for taking the call, my man. Okay. Where do you, where do you think the most long-term value is in the cloud market? Which stock would you pick? Hitting another big, expensive cloud player like you mentioned in the segment yesterday? Or a cheaper stock like Cloudera that's not profitable yet but just bought out its competition? Or there's always a cybersecurity market. Well, you know, I'm interested in Cloudera because uh, why? Because Cloudera just merged with Hortonworks. That deal just closed. I think you might have an interesting stock there. I think that that stock is going to surprise people. Now, yesterday I went over the Cloud Kings and I think the world of them. And by the way, how about all the people who told you that you could not buy Proofpoint? Remember how we just kept hearing that there were worries and worries and worries? Well, guess what? Proofpoint reported a real good number. And Gary Steele... He's money! All right, let's focus for a second here. We're in the midst of an ideal backdrop for stocks. So be ready to buy these on a dip. Look at that. Is that bad straight? Um, okay, on Mad Money tonight, February might be better known for romance than investing, but with the market posting its best January in 30 years, I'll tell you what it could signal for the months ahead. Then Elliott Management made ways last week when it disclosed the stake in eBay. And the company certainly took notice, announcing its first ever dividend a few days later, although I think it was in the works. But is it enough to satisfy the critics? I'm going to give you my take. It's going to surprise you. And it's been a busy year for ADP, one of my favorite stocks with U.S. employment on the rise. I'm going to sit down with the CEO to find out what's ahead for the company. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? 
Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. As January goes, so goes the rest of the year. Or something like that. Yep, you can expect to hear that nonsensical ditty multiple times over the next couple of weeks. I already heard it a few times today. It's very important to steel ourselves against these bromides. We had an 8% run in January. Oh, it was a fabulous return. And you better believe a host of commentators will be tempted to extrapolate from that number. But here's the thing. There's really not much correlation between how the market performs in January and how it performs in the next 11 months. I don't care about the charts. I don't care about the graphs. Repeat after me. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Yet the punditocracy is always trying to link non-linkable events with an unbelievable level of certainty. It's crazy. The stock market is not Groundhog Day. The setup for last month's rally was pretty unique. It was a, a reckless Fed chief, almost strangled the economy, and then he backed off, allowing it to breathe again. How often is that going to occur? Unless j makes the exact same series of decisions this year, history is not going to repeat itself. So please, 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 can we stop listening to so-called experts who gin up these illusory patterns that lead people astray? Can we stop paying them commissions and giving them free publicity when they confuse coincidence with causation? I say each year stands on its own. I don't know a soul who predicted that disastrous December we just went through, the worst since the Great Depression, by the way. This was a nauseating, out-of-nowhere, and most of all, short bear market. And it was very much the Fed's creation. Almost no one saw it coming because no one thought the Fed would do what it did. In fact, all I heard going into the fourth quarter was the opposite. When the market's doing well for the year going into September, you're going to end the year strong. Another useless so-called truism. Here's the problem. Years are not football schedules, and the collective line in football is often right, far more right than the collective line in the stock market. On the eve of the big game Sunday, we know the odds favor the Patriots because there's some predictability. But even then, let's face it, there's an oblong ball that's bouncing around, and it's the great but under, unheralded Burt Bell, the NFL commissioner from 1945 to 1959, would tell you, on any given Sunday, there can be an upset. That's what I feel like saying about this. On any given Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there could be an upset. We should start saying this to these prognosticators who tell us, as January goes, so goes the year. There can always be an upset. As I get older, I feel the need to warn people, to warn you, that stocks are much less about precision and predictability and much more about chance. Which brings me full circle to this market's phenomenal recent run. You know why stocks had such a good start this year? For the same reason they had such a bad end last year, our Federal Reserve chairman. In October, he laid out a game plan for a series of rate hikes that would have put an end to the current economic expansion because that was his goal. He thought that he had to destroy the expansion to stop the specter of inflation. In December, though, Powell realized that he had been reckless. 
There were other forces doing the job of keeping inflation down for him, so the Fed could afford to be less aggressive. That's why sometime after the Christmas bottom, he made up his mind to let those forces play out, thank heavens. When Powell unveiled his new, more responsible attitude at the beginning of the year, the market caught fire. That's why the S&P rallied almost 8% last month. It had nothing to do with the calendar. So hold your ears when commentators who should know better blather on and on about non-existent relationships between the stock market and the months or days of the year. The one thing I know for sure, their confidence in the calendar and history is misplaced. They'll be proven wrong, and they will never, ever, ever admit that they were wrong or that their hubris and ignorance cost you money. Let's go to Paul in Texas, please, Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Paul. Because of current turmoil in the market, I started looking for good, solid companies that pay dividends. Okay. I'm specifically looking for 5 to 7% yield. Because of this, I started look, paying attention to payout ratios, but I'm finding anywhere from 10 to 300% payout. So my question is, is there any safe uh, payout ratio percent limit that I should be looking at while comparing these companies and their <laughs> dividends? You know, not really. I mean, look, what I try to tell people is, look, you want to see what the cash flow is. I mean, a lot. Let me give you an example. If you look at Verizon, which is really solid, okay, they absolutely have a terrific, terrific dividend. I look at the cash flow and it's bountiful and that's why they can pay it. If you looked at the earnings, it isn't. So look at the cash flow. That's what tells you if it's safe. And then look at the cash flow and then look at the size of the dividend. That's going to give you the answer. All right, people, do not listen to the nonsense. Each year stands on its own. Judge 2019 and what will happen on its own merits. Not on what happened the first month of the year. Much more money ahead. With Elliott Management circling eBay, could it be worth making a bid on the stock yourself? I'm going to give you my take. Then the 35-day government shutdown impacted 800,000 federal workers. But what impact did it have on employment and the economy? Who would know? How about we ask ADP CEO? And how can 3D printing help solve the biggest issue facing football right now? Ahead of the big game, I'm talking with the CEO of a company using technology to tackle player safety, among so much else, just in time for the Super Bowl. So stay with Kramer. time you hear someone ranting about the need for compromise and cooperation and civility, they're always mentioning this stuff in reference to Washington. Not me. At least not right now. Tonight, I want to make a bold call for cooperation at a venerable American institution, not Congress, eBay. After spending most of 2018 in the doghouse... eBay stock caught fire last week when the legendarily tough and rigorous activist hedge fund Elliott Management announced that they'd taken a 4% stake in the company and started agitating for changes in order to unlock value. The stock initially surged 6% on the news, and for good reason. Elliott does fabulous work and has a terrific track record. But is that enough reason to buy the stock? Can eBay keep climbing here? Honestly, it depends which is why I'm making this impassioned plea for civility. And to be fair, so far, both Elliott and eBay's management have been very respectful to each other. I think they have a fabulous opportunity here to work together. The guys at Elliott have some great ideas that could potentially make shareholders a lot of money. At the same time, eBay's management team is a lot better than you might think if you're only looking at the stock's recent performance in this what-have-you-done-for-me-lately stock market. CEO Devin Wedding knows what he's doing. I've known the guy for a long time. If eBay and Elliott can work together, 
then like Humphrey Bogart and Claude Rains and Casablanca, this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. But there's always a chance that activist situations turn acrimonious. One side or the other digs in its heels, and then you get the proxy fight for the board of directors. That's not what eBay needs here. However, I am optimistic that these guys can cooperate to unlock a ton of value. Let me tell you why. First, it's worth remembering that a year ago, eBay was in great shape. The numbers were excellent. But then things got, I told you to buy it. I said it's really good. But then things got a little rocky as the company reported a series of imperfect quarters, and the stock got clobbered. Now, I'd argue this business is doing better than many investors seem to think. Certainly better than the stock looks like. Last February, the stock spiked to $47 after eBay guided for $225 to $230 for earnings in 2018. Sure enough, they ultimately earned $232, yet the stock's now at $34. What's the problem? Slowing sales growth at the company's core marketplace business, and that is a big deal. Specifically, eBay's gross merchandise volume, the total volume of stuff that gets sold on the platform, showed slowed from a high single-digit growth rate near the end of 2017 to a flat growth rate by the end of last year. You know, former uh, partner PayPal actually mentioned on our show last night that it's one of the reasons why PayPal didn't blow away its numbers. Now, there's also been a bunch of operational issues, incorrect billings, lost photos, warped titles, many other problems that management ended up apologizing for at the end of last year, even though they have sped up the time to delivery. And that's where Elliot comes in. On Tuesday of last week, they announced their 4% stake in eBay and published a public letter to the board of directors. Elliot believes the stock can get to 55 or maybe even 63 by the end of next year, up from 34 right now, as long as management takes their advice. Elliot's plan? They want eBay to consider spinning off an incredible division that I know I use all the time called StubHub, the online ticket exchange platform, as well as their online classifieds business, which I didn't know a lot about, which is a lot like Craigslist. These two divisions are growing like crazy, but because they're buried within a much larger online marketplace company, they don't get the valuation they deserve. I agree with that. Next, Elliot sees a lot of value in eBay's core online marketplace business, but they think it's been mismanaged. They want the company to focus its efforts here. They also have a bunch of suggestions for how eBay could potentially cut costs, and they propose that the company return more capital to shareholders. Finally, while Elliott didn't call for anyone's head, they argue that eBay needs the right talent in place to oversee their turnaround plan. The most encouraging sign for me, Elliott ended the letter not with demands, but with a simple request that management take their ideas seriously and work with them for the good of the business. In response, the stock vaulted 6% in a single day. It's now up more than 10% since Elliott's announcement. That includes a modest rally after eBay reported an OK quarter on Tuesday. Now, so far, I think management has handled this well. When eBay reported they raised their buyback, $5 billion earmark for 2019, also rolled out a dividend that currently yields 1.6%. Hey, that's better than Elliott asked for, although sources familiar with the situation say the move was in the works before this. The major bone of contention is the breakup. When the conference call went and talked about how StubHub and the classified business drive traffic to eBay's online marketplace. Then he added, and I quote, but we will always evaluate our assets and will continue to do so, end quote. So maybe they're more open to the idea than it seems. Personally, I think Elliot's dead right on this one. eBay's classified businesses are already designed to operate independently. They actually compete with eBay's marketplace. More importantly, StubHub could be a lot more valuable as an independent company or as a takeover target, perhaps for Live Nation, the owner of Ticketmaster. Remember, eBay spun off PayPal back in 2014, and that's been a huge win for shareholders. Why not do it again? I think StubHub is an incredibly valued property, but you really can't tell because it's so deep inside of eBay. As for the operational issues, I think everybody involved wants to see eBay's margins go higher. So this might be an area where it would be very easy for Elliott and eBay to work hand in glove together to fix this, especially since Elliott has a lot of experience helping companies figure out where to cut costs. The trickiest point, part, 
We don't know if Elliott will push for new management or even a new board of directors. While they didn't explicitly ask for a board seat, this is a huge hedge fund that is very good at getting what it wants. If Elliott gives Devin Wenig and his team a chance, though, I think they'll be pleasantly surprised. Wenig pushed for eBay to spin off PayPal back in the day when he was running the marketplace division. There were a lot of people at the company who were really against the split. He argued for it. So I suspect Wenig would be open to anything that he thinks can unlock value here. He's improved the customer experience and turned eBay into a business that's either number one or number two in most of its markets. He's repurchased 25% of the share count at terrific prices, including recently at 28, stocks at 34. Sure, eBay had a slowdown in the fourth quarter, but you know what? I've been thinking after the schlocking that Amazon took today. I mean, you know what? Amazon didn't have such a great fourth quarter either when it comes to marketplace. So if Wenning and Elliott can find a way to work together here, I'm very optimistic and believe the stock could have a lot more upside. The bottom line, Elliott Management has done a ton of research into eBay, and I think they make some very good points. But I want to stress that the best person to implement their plans is the current chair, uh, company CEO, Devin Wenning. If like me, you believe that eBay and the activists can work together, then the stock is absolutely a buy here, even after its big move up since Elliott's announcement. I want to go to Bill in South Carolina, please. Bill. Hey, booyah, Jim. How are you today? I am doing well. Booyah, Bill. What's up? Well, I want to ask your opinion about Decker's Outdoor Court. Uh, the manufacturers of the Ugg shoes and right. Kiva. So I bought well, these shares back in the middle of January. I'm up nearly 20% on them in a qualified account. And my question is, you know, they really beat their earnings estimate in the third quarter. They right. raised their estimates going forward. Right. Should I hold on to this stock? Um, I think so. I think that they're in a big turn, and I think it's doing well, and I think it's cold out, and I think that it's a, this is a bit of a trading stock, but I think that you can let it run a little more. How about Marcus? In, in, oh, where my daughter lives. Marcus in Oregon. Marcus. Hey, and the mighty Rogue River, Southern Oregon. Hey, Holy my cow, Rogue Credit News. Yo, man, you are really. Hey, how about that whitewater raft doing the Rogue, huh? It's, it's awesome. Everybody it's should go. Out here in the Everybody should go to the Rogue. That's how gorgeous it is. Yeah, to my part of the country, the only store we have is Walmart. You touched on it at 9 o'clock this morning, briefly for about two seconds, and it's the perfect contraindicator to the market. Man, it should be doing good. They've got a good management. What can we do with this? Well, look, I mean, they paid too much for Flipkart in retrospect. Who would have known what the, that the, uh, you know, that India would change the rules there? Hey, by the way, you got a good Fred Meyer near you, and that's Kroger, and they're coming back. I actually think Walmart is a very nice price at 93. Let someone downgrade it on Monday because they say it paid too much for Flipkart, and then you pull the trigger. Bye, 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 bye. Because Walmart's very inexpensive. I believe eBay and Elliott Management, I really think they can work together. Get the best of the best. All right, much more man money ahead. Uh, the Labor Department announced the 100th straight month of uh, employment gains today. You know, I think I was the only one on air who thought it was great. Now, just kidding. Others did. Tonight, I'm talking earnings and employment with one of the largest payroll providers, ADP. What a stock! Then, it's a company using the, to power, it's using the power of technology to advance innovation at companies like Ford, at Johnson & Johnson. Even Adidas, and you probably never even heard of it. Do not miss my sit-down with the CEO of Carbon 3D. And what he calls Rapid Fire, tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. And, of course, a look back at the week that was. So stay with Kramer. This 
morning, we got some fabulous employment numbers from the Labor Department with the economy adding 304,000 jobs in January, despite the government shutdown. It was a blowout, but it's only one number. If you want to get a clear read on the labor market, I always like to hear from Automatic Data Processing, ADP, the nation's largest payroll processor with a big human capital management business. This is a terrific company with a stock that's been roaring. We've been behind it the whole way, especially since ADP did report a terrific quarter on Wednesday, although actually they were pretty humble, if not outright self-deprecating about it. So let's take a closer look with Carlos Rodriguez, the presidency of automatic data processing, to learn more about the quarter and the broader labor market. Mr. Rodriguez, welcome back to Man Money. Good to see you guys. Have a seat. Thank you. Now, you're the only guy, I have to admit, this whole reporting period where I just said, wow, what a great stop. What a great quarter. Fantastic. You are way too hard on yourself. The first thing you talk about is you were unhappy with the 1% growth for, uh, for your bookings, but everything else was fabulous. And that's why the stock's been flying. Yeah, listen, from an EPS growth standpoint and a margin improvement standpoint, it's really the best we've done in many, many years. That's exactly so, what you said so you'd do when you were here last. Appreciate the opportunity to brag a little bit. It's, you it's definitely a great it. quarter. Now, let me understand something. We have this oddity here where we are hiring a lot of people, and yet a lot of companies I talked to had a really bad December. Could you please try it? Because you probably know more than anybody in the Labor Department. Can you explain that to me? How is it possible that so many companies were bellyaching, things weren't good in December, but there were so many people hired? Well, I mean, it's maybe fear around tariffs, uncertainty, what's going on in the, in the political environment, because our numbers have been pretty consistent. I think every time I talk to you, uh, I think I share what we see in the, uh, in the economy, and I think we've been set, seeing steady growth in employment, right. steady growth in, wage, in wages, which I know is important to, uh, to both of us yes. for the average American. Um, so it's been, it's been good news all along, but I think you've had some of your own contacts telling you things about manufacturing oh, and other things my. that Look at maybe this. we don't see. Look, a company, a major American company, uh, Dow DuPont, okay? Uh, terrible. Terrible. Yeah. Auto companies. Terrible. Every housing company. Terrible. It's a very difficult thing to reconcile, but obviously... Not some, seen in the numbers. Not, not seen in the not numbers. Not seen in the numbers. It's incredible. Yeah. Now, we don't talk enough about what you've been doing with your professional employment organization. You've got to talk about this PEO business. Explain it to people because it is growing like wildfire. It's clearly, I think, the most bankable part of your portfolio. Well, I love that business, Jim, because <sighs> I started in that business. That's how I ended up at ADP. Uh, so it's really a, an outsourcing of the entire HR function. So it's right. a fantastic solution for small and mid-sized companies where we help companies with their health benefits, not just payroll, which is kind of the right. foundation of what we do, but also HR benefits, workers' compensation, a retirement plan that you typically wouldn't have if you were the small company. So it's really, uh, it's really the way to go if you're a small company. You, it's really tough out there in terms of complying with all the regulation and all the laws. It's tough competing against other companies for talent. And I think a PEO really levels the playing field for you. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I don't know what people understand. A small, medium-sized business, their biggest – we're a great country. I don't want to make this sound hypocritical, but the greatest enemy for a small, business-sized company is that the government could come in and put you out of business. And you don't know – you tend not to know what to do, but we use ADP. Okay, at my restaurants. We Appreciate use ADP. That. Absolutely. And we wouldn't know what to do without you. And all we care about is that somebody comes in and puts us out of business. Yeah. Well, listen, the fact of the matter is, even with a change in tone around regulation, it's tough being an employer. No matter what size you are, if you're a small employer, it's almost impossible to be an employer and stay out of trouble. So I think you, you do have to get help, and I think companies like us are there to help. Now, when a small, medium-sized business comes to you for that, they tend to probably go up and do all the you know, payroll and get everything. You end up get every piece of the business. Yeah, as you know, we go all the way from small companies to large companies right. and all the way from payroll to the full HR outsourcing like we talked about with the, uh, with the PEO. Okay, so how's the country feel to you coming after uh, 
Do you notice a difference just in attitude very quickly if the Fed is geared toward having multiple tightenings, which I like for you because of the cash balance, but then it's a little bit easy. I think it's more important, frankly, that you have job creation than cash balance. You're you're dead on. You're dead on, Jim. I think it's not only about job growth, but it's also about having a healthy, strong economy. I think if the Fed, as you've been saying for now several months, if the Fed tightens to the point where everything comes to a halt, that's not good for anybody. It's not good for ADP. So, yeah, we like increasing yields, but... Frankly, yields were coming off of such a low that we still got a little gas in the tank with where they are today because our portfolio is laddered. So we still have some gas in the tank in the next couple of years, and we'd be really happy if this results, the, the Fed pause results in a strong economy that endures here for a couple more years. Oh, absolutely. Now, uh, one last thing. Yeah, we had this government shutdown. There were companies that got extended that weren't part of the government. Is everybody okay? Can they snap back quickly, or do we incur some real damage because this one went on for so long? Well, it's a great question because I think this is unprecedented in terms of totally. how long that shutdown lasted. Um, but, boy, the economy feels like it has a lot of momentum. When you look at our jobs data and you look at wage growth, uh, it's hard to imagine that this is going to be other than a pothole in, uh, in the road. So I'm very optimistic that things will continue and the momentum will continue. And uh, certainly it's a hope, hope, we hope that for ourselves but also for everyone else in the economy. Okay, so everybody listen at home. If you see those job numbers and you see they're so big like they are 100 straight months, the best way to invest in it is with Carlos Rodriguez, the president and CEO of ADP. Man, money's back after the break. It is time for the life of and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate over the lightning round. Great run. over with Alonzo in Virginia. Alonzo. Booyah, Jim. Alonzo of Winchester, Virginia. Love your show. Oh, man. Good to hear. It's a long week. What's going on? I am working on a long-term portfolio for my 16-year-old son, Miguel. What do you think about BAC, Bank of America, for his I, portfolio? I think Brian Moynihan is doing a remarkable job. It is one inexpensive, inexpensive stock. They keep buying back stock. It's got a good yield. It's going to get better because it's going to raise the dividend. Bye, bye, bye. Let's go to John in California. John. Uh, Booyah, Jim, from out here in Sacramento. Happy uh, Super Bowl Friday hey, to you. Hey, John, how you been, man? I've been thinking about uh, Mayor Ivan Poe. I was remembering some good times out there in Sacramento. What's up? <laughs> Okay, well, you know what? I've been, uh, you know, I'm long on Gilead. I'm getting a little impatient with that, but I'm going to let that go. We've moved on to uh, Pilgrim's Pride Chicken. We did our homework. It's kind of a bottom feeder, so we're waiting for it to make some moves, and we kind of buy them and throw them in the drawer. What do you think of Pilgrim's Pride? Well, I mean, I think it is a bit of a bottom feeder there. Now, Tyson reports next week. I happen to like this one more than Tyson. Uh, it is a $5 billion outcome. I'll go with you on that one, Joe. I'll go with you. You know, I'm going to go with you on that. I mean, you had a little think about that. Let's go to Stewart, New Jersey. Stewart! Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? I'm great. I've been an Action Alert member for a year now, and it's been doing real well. Oh, thank you, man. We we held on to that Facebook, didn't we? What's up? Yeah, and I want to thank you for Canopy. I took a cue from you. I named my rescue dog Canopy. Canopy rocks, although Alex Burns, my old friend, was out there trashing the... uh, the canopy, I know, uh, cannabis sector, but canopy's got the cash. What's up? Yeah, I mean, I'm up 40% on that. Thank you, Mr. Kramer. Yes, we want to help people make money. That's the plan. How can so, I help? I, I'm, inter- I'm interested in, in Kemet now, K-E-M. Uh, they capacitors. Have You're interested in capacitors, are you? 
Well, that's an inexpensive yeah, well, capacitor they're, they're stock. Value, I, I'm going to go with you. It's a very inexpensive stock, particularly after the cohorts moved up. Hey, how about the way Carol Marone nailed the SMH on Tuesday night? Check the archives if you missed it. How about we go to Anthony in Minnesota? Anthony. Hey, Jim. What about Moderna? MRNA. You know, I pulled up with Moderna recently when I was out there at the J.P. Morgan conference where we learned a ton of things. By the way, I'm sticking by that Bristol Mars. I like it. And I think Moderna's got a lot of game to it. It's very, you know, it came public during a weird, uh, weird period in the, in the uh, IPO market. It's critical stage biotech, and I think it's a great but speculative situation. Are we done? Completely not. John in North Dakota. John. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Uh, New Residential Investment Corp, NRZ. I do not recommend uh, these residential mortgage-related companies because I don't really know what they own. And even though they could be very good companies, i got to stick with what I do know and not recommend things that I don't. How about we go to Kevin in Massachusetts? Kevin. Hey, Jim. Big booyah from South Austin. Big fan of the show, brother. All right. Good luck this weekend. I don't mind saying that. How can I help? Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, I just want to talk about Boston Beer Company. It's well off its 52-week high. Yeah, but uh, beer's flat. Beer's flat. Hey, that's pretty funny. Beer is flat. I can't recommend anything in that category. But I tell you that Diageo is really good. Hey, you know what? The uh, Sarah Eisen and I agree on that. She was getting made up the other day. I was getting made up. We both agreed. Diageo's got game. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Hey, Jim, a big booyah from South Jersey. Go Birds! Go Birds! So call me 1-800... Holy cow. It is... What happened? This morning at 6.30. What's the matter? Would you take a page from the Larry David playbook and curb your enthusiasm? Or as Mel Brooks put it in Spaceballs, merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. But he had ended up misery! Ah! I couldn't have designed that better if I had just come out of here with a, with a bandsaw. Was a... Whoa! Not bad, huh? Well, it's almost spring training. Need I say more? Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. I know that investing is all about trying to predict the future. That's why every now and then we like to go off the tape with privately held startups, the kind of ultra innovative companies that can potentially revolutionize an entire industry. And we've got one tonight. 
Companies like Carbon, which has developed, that's the name of the actual company called Carbon, developed an alternative to traditional 3D printing that they call digital light synthesis. I won't pretend to understand the science here, but basically Carbon's technology uses light and heat to transform a pool of resin into an actual product. The big advantage, a lot of companies use 3D printers to make prototypes, but they're not great for mass manufacturing. Carbon's hardware and software, on the other hand, can create finished products at mass scale. Plus, their technology allows customers to make things that were previously, let's call them, unmakeable. For example, this morning, Carbon announced a partnership with Riddell that's on football helmets. They can digitally manufacture a custom latest liner for each helmet, okay, so that everybody will fit individual players, not one size fits all, because that doesn't work. So with the big game coming up this weekend, let's take a closer look with Joseph DeSimone, who is the inventor. He's the co-founder behind Carbon. He serves as the CEO. Learn more about his company, its partnership, and I got to tell you, one amazing helmet. Ha! Mr. DeSimone, welcome to Mad Buddy. Good to see you, sir. Thanks, Jim. All right. Uh, Joe, I got to tell you, when I ask moms and dads whether they let their kids play football, first thing he says, are you kidding me? They have not developed the technology that makes it so my boy won't have a concussion. Am I looking at it? I know that there always will be, but making a safer helmet is a big deal to people. Look, Jim, as you look at all the sports, all the exercising, whether it's bicycle riding, skiing, soccer, football, it's all about protection, and these are fraught with injuries. So we're proud to be a Silicon Valley company to bring technology, advanced technology, to protect the ones we love. And this one, these are individualized, right? You scan the head, but you can still mass produce. We do. So you think about Invisalign, intraoral right. scanners, tunable, you know, to your Align teeth. technology. Good Align technology. No one's ever done that for football helmets. No. Right? So we take digital technologies and get a perfect, I mean, you want a perfectly fitted helmet, even include if you've got a hair bun or, right. you know, ideal for your head. And then what we do is we take that image, we take the best fitting helmets, and then we apply advanced cloud-based computations finite element analysis, sample thousands of different lattices. So we use a lattice to dissipate the energy. Now, I don't want to dwell too much on the helmets, but it happens to be this weekend is, is uh, obvious, obviously the Super Bowl. But it, you have to be able to statistically show that it can produce fewer, right? I mean, you're never going to eliminate it because any sport can have it. But it does produce, theoretically, fewer concussions. So what's great about a lattice, unlike foam, foam is a 100-year-old technology right. invented in 1937. So here we are, we've got the, you know, all these athletes. What we do is we bring state-of-the-art, unmakeable things. These lattices, every time a, la- a strut buckles, it absorbs energy, and then you can dissipate that energy to a larger area. We certainly believe in changes of, of attitudes and behaviors, proper tackling, right. you know, the kickoff. But taking these kinds of lattices quantitatively allows us to dissipate energy more effectively. Okay, so give me some other things that you're mass-producing that were unmakeable or certainly not done as well. Well, I'm wearing these Adidas running shoes, right? So this is another example of taking lattice designs. This is a data matrix, so we have traceable parts. We can make these at scale, a big partnership with Adidas. J&J, we've got the same lattice design, same computational lattice engine, with a material that, for surgical implants, it provides its function, and then after a few months, it completely dissolves. No. Untraceable. Absolutely. No, this is, that's the holy grail. That's what they've been looking for. So J&J is a big investor with us. We're really excited to have Well, that. speaking of investors, you've got some of our favorites. Alan Malawi's the man who told me about your company, the man who saved Fortinet so it didn't go bankrupt. Alan's amazing. we we got board members that are really passionate about this. As you know, Alan's Mr. Digital Manufacturing. Yes, he is. 
And he's done that when he lead engineer the 777 back when he was at right, Boeing. Right. We've got a big partnership with Ford a couple weeks ago at the Detroit Auto Show. We had the first 3D printed parts on a production vehicle, the Ford Mustang, F-150 truck, and the Ford Focus. And how about Ellen Coleman, old friend of the show? So Ellen, amazing. DuPont. She's a DuPont, former CEO of DuPont. She's our lead director. She's really passionate about materials impacting people's safety. She started the security business at DuPont, and she's been a great mentor. Well, I've got to tell you, I mean, I, I, candidly, I did not know of your company until Alan uh, checked in. Uh, you guys have been flying a little bit under the radar. We are. So this is a, uh, it's a Silicon Valley-based company. We, we raised $200 million in December of 2017. Okay. At a 1.7, That's pretty new. $1.7 billion post. We have, it's breakthrough in having a subscription model for manufacturing. Right. So think install base like uh, think, uh, Intuitive Surgical, Illumina. We have growing install base. Right. That's a hardware, service, and printer. Then we have an app store for resins. Okay. At Silicon Valley, you need an app store. Right. We have these resins. The resins right. have the properties for right. all these different parts. Right. Between the two of them, we have an you know, annual contract value. An ACV starts at the floor at about $70,000 per install unit. Twice that for our bigger printers, and we're in 11 different countries now. Well, what you're telling me is 3D printing at last, en masse, no more trinkets is here. Finally for production. And as you go into these large volume applications, what happens is you start procuring resins. We're selling more resin in production applications. This industry, 3D printing historically, is an 8 to $10 billion prototyping industry. We're going after a $300 billion injection molding marketplace. Fundamentally different at that scale, Resin pricing can come down, right. opening up mass markets. And it's in use. This is not a dream come true. you got someone on the Rams that are playing with this. We have, we've had a player on just about every team for the second half of the season. Uh, Roger Saffold has uh, been wearing it for the, second, for the Rams, and we're very excited about that. Well, it's, we're all excited. Maybe the Rams can beat the Pats. How about that? That would be. We love the old guy, yeah. uh, quarterback for the Pats, but certainly as long as the game's as good as last year. Yeah. Now, no, the outcome is as good. That may not happen this year, but thank you so much. This is very exciting. That's Joseph DeSimone. He's the co-founder and CEO of Carbon. I bet you're going to hear a lot about Carbon in the future. Stick with Kramer. Well, knives are out for Amazon today, but I think by Tuesday, a lot of the big selling is going to be over. I say, wait till the afternoon, though. Don't be too anxious. I like to say there's always more market summer. Promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you Monday. What is Decision Tech by Fidelity? It's technology that can help you find a stock based on what's trending or an investing goal. It's real-time insights and information delivered in your own customized view of the market. It's smarter trading technology for smarter trading decisions. And it's only from Fidelity. Open an account today at fidelity.com trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC.